What is the future of film? Taking place at BFI Southbank London on 26th of November 2019, the Future of Film Summit is the essential event on the new technologies, strategies and partnerships shaping film's future. From game engine design to brand funding, the event is designed to empower storytellers and film professionals with expert-led sessions, inspirational keynotes and incredible networking across film, media, and brands. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. Tickets on sale now at futureoffilm.live. That's futureoffilm.live. Hello everyone and welcome to Film Disruptors Season 3. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the trailblazers who are shaping the future of film. And my guest today is Mike Winton. Mike is VP of Marketing at Neon, who of course are one of the hottest distribution companies on the planet, known for their astute acquisitions and eye-catching marketing. And Neon have caught the eye in recent years, not just with their cool campaigns, which Mike, of course, masterminds, at a time when the challenges faced by independent distribution have been very well documented, Neon have achieved notable box office success with titles like Three Identical Strangers and Apollo 11. So in this conversation, Mike discusses Neon's strategy and how distributors and storytellers can cut through in the era of streaming and increasingly polarised theatrical market. And as the conversation was recorded live at Bogota Audiovisual Market, we appropriately talk about Neon's plan for Monos, the highly acclaimed Colombian film they recently picked up. This interview, as I mentioned, is part of the BAM Disruptors series recorded at the Bogota Audiovisual Market, or BAM, which takes place there in July. BAM is the essential event for anyone serious about engaging with the Latin American market in film or TV. I highly recommend it, and this episode would not have been possible without them. You can find out more about BAM at bogotamarket.com. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay up to date. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or any of your major podcast platforms. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors, which is alexstoltz.com, S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening, and now please enjoy this conversation with film marketing expert Mike Winton, recorded at the 2019 Bogota audiovisual market and i start the show by asking mike about monos and why neon acquired the film as, as some of you may or may not be familiar monos is a colombian film i believe it's being released here in august um neon will release it in the united states in september and um it all taking a step back it all started back in january at the sundance film festival where um, the acquisitions team at Neon saw Monos, fell in love with it, walked out of the screening room and went straight to the sales agents and were like, we have to have this movie. And so it was one of those sort of classic Sundance stories where, you know, it was like, All right, let's, let's, let's do this, let's close this. And uh, the, the film was uh, shortly thereafter announced as a Neon acquisition. And, um, and then, uh, it, you know, has been a uh, has been a, a great ride since the film has played um, a ton of U.S. festivals. It's won a bunch of audience awards, and that's all in service of building steam going into its um, September release. And uh, yeah, what, I mean, what do you what do you see in the film? I mean, it's uh, is this is this the first time you've picked up a 
Latin American movie? Yeah, it's the first Latin American film that, that Neon's been involved with. And, um, you know, we're, what we responded to, and it was just the incredible singular directorial vision of Alejandro Landes. Um, the film is such an intense and original and unusual sort of action adventure journey um, that kind of, you know, shows some kind of uh, influence from, from certain cinematic masters, but still manages to kind of be its own thing. And I think that's really what the whole, that's the, that's the sort of the ethos or direction of Neon is supporting the, the you know, the best filmmakers in the world. Right. And, and we believe that Alejandro Landos is, is, is one of those. Right. Uh, so Neon, um, it was, was set up uh, in, in a partnership between Tom Quinn, who's got a background in, in, in distribution, and also Tim Leake, who's owns uh, set up a number of uh, a chain of cinemas in the states, the Alamo Draft House, which is a very um, uh, yeah, one of the most innovative cinema chains. Out yeah, there, right? it's a good, if if anyone ever makes it to America, there's there's now over thirty Alamo Draft Houses, uh, and it's really a unique way to experience going to the movies. It's centered around um, you know cinephiles. They you know it's a really well curated. Uh, you know, programming of films and, and they have, they serve food and alcohol and the audience is, uh, it's, I, I find it to be like the best movie going experience to the point where I have a hard time going to other movie theaters because mm. I can't, <laughs> it's, it's not as good. Mm. Uh, the projection, the sound, all of like the really key things are, are served so well by Alamo. Yeah. Yeah. They have a, they have a lot of fun, don't they? They yeah. put on, they put on some cool double bills yeah. and like stuff you, you don't see so often. And, and at a time when, um, the theatrical experience is being challenged by so many other entertainment options from streaming media like Netflix and Amazon and just the countless other options of shows and movies you can watch online. Alamo has really made it their mission to like drive people into the theater and, and they, they do that and then they reward them with what I think is one of the best cinematic experiences you can have. Yeah. So is that part of the DNA of Absolutely. Of, of yeah. Neon and yeah. Getting, getting movies which are going to be on the big screen. Yeah, and again, not to beat the drum too hard on Monos, because um, it's obviously not the only thing we're here to talk about, but mm. it really is a film that deserves to be on the big screen. And, and the Neon, as a company, really prides itself in providing films with, with really you know, strong theatrical platforms. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously, like, it's totally understand there's tons of good stuff that you can watch at home, but Monos, in particular, is a film that's so immersive and such a ride and such an experience mm. and so cinematic that it really is not the same if you're not seeing it on a, on a big screen with, a, with an audience of people. You know, one, one huge asset that we have is that uh, Monos is, you know, it's a, in, some, in some senses, in many senses, it's a very traditional art house film. It has amazing reviews. It has, you know, Guillermo del Toro has come out and anointed Alejandro as a, as a new, you know, master of cinema. It has, um, you know, festival word of mouth. It's going to have a really interesting profile in the press. Alejandro, the press always gets excited when there's a young new director, a new voice who's kind of essentially emerged um, fully formed almost out of nowhere. And so there's, there's all these things the film ha inherently has going for it. Um, so there, there, that's sort of, I, I would almost say there's those sort of baked in art house qualities that we can just, we can surf those and start building an audience with, you know, with stuff that the film sort of endemically brings to the table on, on its own. Um, and then in terms of where, where, you know, where we really have to do our work is kind of creating really compelling and interesting materials. So you need a beautiful poster that's going to stand out in the lobby of, you know, of, of mm -hmm. all the movie theaters it's playing in. You're going to need a, a, an amazing trailer. Um, you're going to need to get that trailer in front of the right films for the audience that will come see this. And I think actually not, to, again, not to keep touting Alamo, but one cool thing that Alamo does is they'll play, Alamo theaters will play like a big blockbuster, like say Spider-Man, and then they'll play smaller films like Monos. And what they'll do is, because they really believe in cross-pollinating, they'll show trailers for Monos in front of mainstream films. And while Monos is, is, is not quote-unquote a mainstream film, it is, it, it is in some senses is kind of an action-adventure film that has the elements, uh, you know, kind of has these genre elements that they come across in the trailer and you can start to, you know, you can start to hit that wider audience um, that wouldn't necessarily know about the film otherwise. And I think it's a, it's a really, you know, these theaters that are smart about how they cross-pollinate can really create an opportunity for a film like Monos. Is the fact that Monos has got some English dialogue, American actors in it, is that 
is that quite helpful when you're putting a trailer together? Or yeah, it- it's, I, there's, it's, it's, it's moderately helpful, yeah. Mm. But it's still, ultimately, it's still going to be viewed as a, as a foreign film. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And how important is Guillermo del Toro giving an endorsement? Yeah, how, so how did that, how did that it's huge, yeah. So Guillermo del Toro, who's, who's obviously one of, the, you know, uh, one of the great filmmakers of our day, mm. uh, saw the film and loved it. And he has a history of supporting up-and-coming filmmakers, and, which is wonderful. And I, I worked on a film called The Babadook a few years ago, and he came out and he, he you know, gave quotes for that, and that really kind of helped. That, every little bit helps. Mm. And, um, mm. and him coming out and calling you know, uh, Alejandro a, a new master of cinema is, is a huge thing for the film. And we'll, you know, it's going to be in the trailers. It'll be on the poster. You know, we'll, we'll use that. We'll, we'll ride that all the way. Mm. And uh, tell me... Do you have a positioning for the film? And maybe you should, or can you explain what positioning is? Sure, sure. And, and why that's important when you're starting a campaign, and then also what your what the positioning for Monos would be. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Alex is referring to like a positioning statement, which basically is like a succinct, maybe two or three sentences that just describe the film um, as tightly and concisely as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, and the the goal is to have have that created, and then try to have everything that you do in the campaign sort of serve that positioning statement. So all the work is building around this one message. Yeah. And for Monos, that positioning statement is, this is a must-see film from a, uh, from a new auteur that can only be experienced on the big screen, and it's unlike anything else you're going to see this year. Okay. Pretty straightforward. Okay, okay. So the theatrical is just key mm-hmm. to, to everything. What do you think about, say, uh, the strategy on Roma? Because we're talking about Latin yeah. American films, and that's, that's a film which, which was released on Netflix. Yeah, uh, I think Roma's a great example because um, it, was, it was such a high-profile film. It was just a critically lauded and, and such, a, such a major film um, from last year with Academy Awards and Alfonso Cuaron, who's also, you know, uh, in that rare status as one of the major, major uh, directors working today. Um, and it was a really expensive film, and it was, uh, it was financed by Netflix. And um, it's definitely the type of film that probably would not have gotten made if Netflix hadn't put the money behind it. Um, and what that means is that the, the, the sort of, the, the other part of that is that it's, it's, it's on Netflix. It did play theatrically, it did play theatrically quite a bit, but it was... Um, it was really more of a, you know, of an on-demand streaming play, mm. and so, um, you know, it's 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 interesting to look at that and, and some of, you know, in terms of other recent Latin American films, um, you know, that's certainly one of the more, one of the major ones, um, but it was more more streaming driven than theatrical. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and do you have any opinion about? Streaming and theatrical going. I mean, I, day, day and date. Is yeah, what's, yeah. Uh, so I'm definitely old enough to the point where I like. F- growing up, I fell in love with going to the movies, like going to the theater. Um, and I, you know, I'm older now, and I have kids, and I don't have as much time uh, <laughs> and, uh-huh. and ability to, <laughs> to 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 organize and 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 go see as many movies in theaters. But to me, it's still something that I love, and I I, I do actually get to take my kids to the movies, uh, you know, every once in a while and they love it. So that's kind of a nice thing to get to pass down. But to answer your question. Yeah. I mean, I definitely prefer, I, I think it's important that the, the really good films get a true theatrical release. I think it's, um, I think, you know, it's the problem I find is that there's so much content out there that it's hard to figure out. It's hard to, you want to hold on to what cinema is. And if everything is just getting pushed onto an iPad or a TV screen, it all just kind of becomes content. Mm. And I think it's important to, to, to preserve the line between, you know, content and, and movies and films and cinema. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that comes on to that point about, we've, we've talked a lot about this week, I think about this, the immense amounts of content out there and the num- number of platforms, uh, new ones coming online later this year, like Disney Plus and AT&T. And I do, I do think at the same time, it is, it's definitely important to, to stress that it's also a great time to be, to be, making, to be making films in general. I mean, it, it, it's, not every film is going is to be able to receive a theatrical release. So it's great that there are so many platforms like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and, and so on and so forth. It definitely is. If you're, if you're on the side of making, creating stuff, it's, it's, it's a very good time. Yeah. 
But how do you cut through? I mean, this, this is it, because you, your job is to, you, you, you know, you, you get the, a film like Monos or Three Identical Strangers, and your job is to say, right, audience, you're out there, you've got every, all of this choice, but you need to come and see this movie now. How do you do that, and how do you communicate it? I think it starts with having instinct, having taste, having, you know, knowing, you know, the company is sort of run and staffed by people that have been, you know, have been doing this for a good amount of time and have worked at other good companies and have, have, have you know, everyone has, brings a pretty strong history of, of releases that they've worked on. And so it starts with taste. It starts with, you know, choosing the right, trying to, yeah, having, having a sense of what the audience will respond to, having a sense of what critics will respond to. And then I think it's also, you have to be, it's as much as it's a business, it has, I mean, we're in this business because we get excited by films. And when you get excited by something, usually that's, you have to sort of let that drive you. Uh, and that's sort of the first part. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so you've got, you've got a, product, a product or a, a, a movie which you're all excited about. Okay, Mike, <laughs> do your magic. Yeah. How, do you, how, do you, how do you make it happen? How do you, you know, I mean, it's, we all know that you do there's advertisements and, and uh, posters and stuff, but what, what are you doing now? You, try to, doing... you sort of try to identify what the audience is. Yep. Is it more male-driven? Is it more female-driven? Is it younger? Is it older? Mm. You know, ideally, you have films that, you know, that are going to hit more than just one of those groups. Mm. Um, but oftentimes, the most interesting movies are ones that, that don't. And so you, know, you kind of learn to sort of um, position something you know, more in a targeted fashion at, mm. at the audience you think will respond most strongly to it. Mm. Um, so these days there's a lot of, you know, as, a, as everyone knows, like we live in such a social media dominated world. Um, so social media advertising is very targetable and you can, you know, run many different campaigns and, you know, for uh, target a certain kind of advertising for the film, you know, at, at the older audience and, you know, uh, like on Facebook where most, where, where that's sort of an older demographic, then on Instagram, you cut a different kind of piece with a different level of energy, and that's going to go younger, maybe more female. And so there's all sorts of ways to sort of yeah. play around in that, um, in that sphere. And are you, are you seeing, so that's social media advertising. Are you seeing a lot of like peer-to-peer recommendations, driving stuff, influencer? Yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. Side? That's like, so aside from just the advertising side of things and the marketing side of things, mm. just witnessing the conversation around, around the films that you're releasing is huge. You can really, I mean, you can literally just see what people are saying about whether it's about the film or the trailer that you just released or, and you can, it's, you can literally just talk, you know, have a conversation with them. Right. Um, and you know, that that's how, you know, neon is in the process of cultivating an audience and building an audience by kind of, you know, paying attention to the people that, that care about our films and talk about our films and cultivating that. Yeah. Uh, so tell me, tell me a little bit, you know, to, to flesh that out a bit. Tell me a bit about three identical strangers and how that works. To, to, you know, and what the has anyone was. is anyone in here familiar with the documentary Three Identical Strangers? Okay, I see a couple of hands, which is good. Um, I'll I'll just be quick. It's this amazing true story about these three identical brothers who were separated at birth. Um, families adopted them. The brothers never knew, they knew they were adopted, but they did not know that they had a set of, that they were members of a part of triplets. They're at age 19, two of them go, end up going, randomly end up going to the same college and they run into each other face to face. It becomes like a small news story. The third one reads about it in the news and then all three of them are reunited. And it's these, it's one of the really fun parts of the movie is, is the story of how they, how they found each other. And it's this really bright, buoyant, bouncy, incredibly entertaining story that you, you honestly can't believe it's, it's real. And I 100% recommend that anyone who's interested go home and watch this, stream it this weekend um, because it's fantastic. And so it goes from this really bright and just lovely, wonderful family reunion story to something much darker as they find out that there was, there was a reason that they were separated and there was sort of this dark, somewhat nefarious plot going on with, um, with the adoption agency. So it's this amazing story and I can't, I can't recommend it enough. And from a marketing standpoint, when you have an amazing, and I even saw a couple of you smile in the audience when I described the plot, when you have a, have a, have a story that that's, that is that strong, it's a gift. Um, so we just leaned into that really hard. We literally called it 
the most amazing, remarkable, incredible story ever told. So we, we owned that and we were confident that, you know, that we had that. And we knew based on how critics and audiences were react, reacting to it in festivals that we could be that outrageously confident. Um, and so it was, there was an interesting thing happening in the, in the sort of in the movie going world in the, in the United States last summer when the movie came out, there were a ton of blockbuster documentaries. Um, there was a documentary about Fred Rogers, who is a children's television person. There was the documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg of the Supreme Court. And these movies were suddenly getting huge audiences. And Free Solo. Free Solo was another one. Um, the Peter Jackson uh, World War I movie um, was another. And so, um, so we thought, you know, those, ha- those all had sort of baked in audiences because they were about subjects that people knew about. Nobody knew about this story. It was the, the way you would know about it is by seeing the movie. So we, you know, we, we didn't necessarily know that we had, had another, you know, blockbuster documentary on our hands, but we sort of created a really um, comprehensive campaign. We, we would have screenings and then after the screenings, audiences would walk out and we would interview them on camera and get their reactions. And you have people coming out that are, you know, that are drying tears out of their eyes, their jaws are on the floor, and we would interview them and they would just be so effusive in their praise. So we cut, you know, a 30 second spot where it was just people, people, you know, just normal cinema goers off the street uh, raving about this movie. And we, you know, we cut that and put that on Facebook. And this is actually, this is a kind of an old school style of marketing that used to be done all the time, but we hadn't really seen it in a bit. And so that was one that really took off on Facebook and it started to show, okay, maybe, you know, maybe people, this, this could be a really strong word of mouth film. We created a, um, another TV spot that was just, you know, critics quotes that were, you know, another traditional spot. So you were doing TV advertising? We did TV, we did online, and we did a graphic only spot that didn't show any footage from the film. And it just showed these three shadows kind of navigating around each other. So we got, we had fun with it. Hmm. We tried a lot of different things and it, it, it felt as if um, everything we did was some, you know, by the time the film opened and was performing incredibly well, um, we felt like all the sort of, all the marketing tactics had actually, had really paid off. Um, and then from there, because the film, because audiences love the film so much, um, it became a sort of a self-sustaining thing where word of mouth was so good that, you know, we didn't stop advertising it, but we, we were like, we don't even need to spend that much money going forward. Like this is, this is you know, this is kind of wow. building its own steam. And mm. Um, mm. so it became, it became, you know, this really great, you know, little hit for us. Mm. Great, great story. Uh, and how much, of your, how much of your budget these days is going on social and digital advertising? Is, that, is it really tipping that way? Yeah, it's definitely tipping that way. Yeah, because yeah, it's just so easy to, when you, put, when you run advertising on social media, you can see, you basically see who's watching and responding to your ads. So you're, you're literally, you know, you get access to all this information. It's, yeah. it's kind of amazing. And what, what would you say to producers who want to make their film more marketable is there anything that people could be doing in the production or thinking about should they be for example building an audience on digital or twitter something you know social um during the production is that helpful should they be creating a website or anything like that i always say that the best use of any filmmaker's energy is making i mean this is like kind of trite, but it's, but I believe it is, is putting all your effort into making the best film that you can make. And I think if you have, if you have extra energy to devote to some of those things that you just mentioned, which whether it's building a social profile or a website or, or, or the other things that you kind of build around your film project, that's definitely all well and good. But I do think ultimately the thing that people are going to care about is the, you know, the, the, the people like the, the, acquisitions executives or people that are going to, you know, support you or, or support your film, they're only going to care about the film. Mm. And I think that, um, you know, I know we wanted to talk about some, some other, you know, uh, Latin American films that have performed well in the U S and I think, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, you know, I don't need to say Monos anymore, but Monos, Roma, Embrace of the Serpent, Birds of Passage, these are just amazing films. The, the one thing they have in common, other than, you know, being from similar territories, mm is they're, they're completely unique films. And I think that, you know, I think the, the thing that, that excite, you know, talking about driving excitement from the sort of the, 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 the tastemaker side or the, the acquisition studio side, it's, you, you need to create something that is, is, 
doesn't feel like it's been seen before or is the best version of, 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 of what you can make. And I, and I know this all sounds so cliche, but I think if you go into this, if you watch a film be successful and, and, you're a, and, and one's approach is to say, okay, I'm going to take that because that worked and, I, and I'm going to look at this other film that worked and I'm going to try to follow that path, I, I think that's not the way to go. I mean, that, that can work out and it does, it, there's plenty of people that make films that are sort of, you know, clearly influenced by other films. But I, I really think it's important to, uh, to, 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 to find your own voice without, you know, w- with inspiration, but without, without so much direct influence, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, it does. Um, what, what, what are you seeing in terms of, you mentioned some titles there. Are there any trends in terms of Latin American films coming to the U.S.? Right now, it's definitely not. There's not a there's not a large amount of them. I think you know. I mentioned the, the the films on the art house side. You know, there's there's one or two a year that really connect and 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 find an audience. Um, but there's also there's a company called Pantaleon, um, which is basically a studio, and they they serve. Um, they go much more mainstream. They they spend a lot more money. Their their films are basically movie studio level with movie studio level releases. And they do an incredible job of getting out the, the Latin American audience in the U.S. Yeah. Um, That's a good point. So with Monos or Embrace of the Serpents, is the audience going to be a Latin American audience? It's going to be, I think that we'll definitely make an effort to tap that audience. Um, but I think that it's more the, the core audience in America for Monos is not necessarily going to be, you know, Latin Americans. It's going to be the art house audience, which does include Latin Americans. Mm. Um, but you know, I think we'll, we're you know obviously we're going to do on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. You know, we'll do Spanish language ads targeting that audience. But that will be you know that's a, that's a smaller portion of trying to hit, you know trying to lock in the core art house audience. Mm. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Mike Winton of Neon. And if you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And I'll start this section by asking Mike about the theatrical market in the US right now. Yeah, well, I think that it's like a lot of things in America, unfortunately. It's there's the sort of like the super, you know, the, the 1% almost, and then mm. there's no middle ground, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you can kind of look at any situation and, and the lack of balance is an issue. Um, it's hard to compete with, um, you know, when the new Avengers movie came out in April, um, it was such a monstrous hit. It basically knocked out all the other movies that were opening, you know, in the, like three and four weeks after it because it, every person went to see it and that's, you know, that not everyone goes to see more than one movie a month or every two months. So if you just spent your 18 bucks or 15 bucks to go see Avengers, you're not going to go see, you know, for a lot of people, that means not venturing, you know, to this, to the smaller fair, to the Mm -hmm. art house. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really hard. It's really, it's, it's kind of crazy how um, all these like superhero films have, it's almost like it's on a calendar where there's one almost every other month, maybe even more, you know, there's a franchise some kind of franchise opening, you know, every month or more. Mm. And it's really hard because we, you know, even though we play in different, we play in specialized art house theaters where those films aren't playing in, in order to sort of experience the upside of these films, we do go into the commercial theaters and try to hold our own there. And it's a, it's just a fight, you know, yeah. it's a fight and you kind of have to, you know, we, we, you have to be realistic at a certain point, you know, these movies are here to stay and people are going to them and, but you got to sort of, you know, for us, it's just like, it's just like really clear. It's a, it's a, it, it's like, it's a little bit of hand-to-hand com, combat and kind of, you know, yeah. using your size and the fact that we're small and nimble and can kind of, you know, uh, can, can pivot and, you know, make fast decisions. Mm. That's, we have that to our advantage and um, we're, we're always looking at the landscape. We're always looking at the release schedule. And is, is that what you mean by pivoting, like changing re- the release date, changing release date, changing the tone of a campaign, right. kind of like, you know, just, just trying to figure out, you know, read the room of the, of the sort of movie going audience and try to, you know, use that to our advantage. How do you use data in your business these days? Um, so I, <laughs> 
there's a, there's a younger set of people that work at Neon that focus on, on the analytics behind um, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. And um, they, well, it's one guy actually. And he is, um, he, he runs all those ads and he sort of has, you know, different dashboards and he can watch in real time mm. when you, when you upload a video and it's, it's whether it's a 30 second spot, a 60 second spot or a full movie trailer, you can, he can watch the user. You can watch the numbers of people that are watching it, how long they're watching it for, who's watching it, if they're watching it to completion and can basically retarget if it's really, you know, hitting the 24 to 35 year old bracket and it's not hitting the 55 and up bracket, which is, those are not good examples, but you can, you can stop spending against the older folks and then focus your money on the younger folks. You can kind of talk about pivoting. It's like, it it is, you know, there's, this is like optimization that's happening um, in real time. Mm. And so um, it's, it's a pretty, (laughs) the spreadsheets that we get on the data is pretty, it's pretty comprehensive and goes pretty deep. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the young, the, the, the guy whose job that is, is, is incredibly good at, at guiding us through the numbers. Right. Right. Do you produce as well? Um, we do. We've, we've, we, we haven't produced anything, but we have financed some films at the script stage. Okay. So we did uh, uh, The Beach Bum, the Matthew McConaughey uh. um, film directed by Harmony Corinne. So you, you bought that at script? Yeah. 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 Um, and, you know, we will find documentary projects that are sort of in progress, but not complete and, and, you know, kind of get in early. Yeah. Um, is that, is that increasingly important to, to get in early or is it because it's, it's riskier, right? Sure. Cause you don't know, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. then if you let with you wait, it sometimes can become. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is risky. I mean, it paid off recently. We, I, uh, or I just noticed that Apollo 11, another documentary, is about to open here, mm. uh, which is also fantastic. <laughs> I'm just recommending neon movies, uh, shamelessly. But um, Apollo 11, we bought um, off of like a 15 or 20 minute footage reel, yeah. and that turned out to be a great, uh, a great, a great bet. So to you're make. doing a lot of documentaries. Yeah, yeah. We, we, Why? What's, what's, what's... It's always been a, it's always been a, I think a, a like a sort of prime directive of the company. You yeah. know, you mentioned Tom Quinn earlier. He's always mm. been. Um, He's, he's, he's in his career, he's done a ton of, ton of the best documentaries, like from Citizen Four to Man on Wire. And so it's always been something that he's, that's like a passion of his. And mm. it turns out that it's become, uh, you know, it's become a, a, a good business. And it's also, we've had the opportunity to, to, to acquire like basically what we feel are the best documentaries available. Are they easy to market? Um, they, I, th- with the documentaries, it can be, what's easier is you can identify an audience um, that will, you know, be maybe uh, more predisposed to be interested in the subject matter. So for like The Biggest Little Farm, which is a documentary about um, organic farmers in Southern California, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole world of, you know, people that are, you know, uh, farming on a low impact scale and are passionate about, you know, making their, you know, going green and, and, and sort of, you know, reversing climate mm-hmm. change. And so it had all these hooks that were, you know, you can reach out to an organization and all of a sudden you have access to like a large groups of people that you can, you know, get in touch with and market the film to. Mm-hmm. So, so in some sense, yes, documentaries mm-hmm. have, have this more kind of like stronger angles, you know, easier targets to kind of hit. Mm-hmm. On those movies, are you selling them as documentaries or are you selling them as stories yeah I, I think that's a great question and i think we tend to we don't necessarily use the word documentary you know mm-hmm. i mean you, you something like apollo 11 which has all this never before seen footage of the apollo moon landing um it looks like a i mean it looks like a real sci-fi movie in certain shots you know it looks you watch the footage and you don't think documentary you just think oh this kind of looks amazing and it kind of transcends that mm-hmm. um and, and I think that to a degree is, is true of a lot of these films, mm. you know. Mm. You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Neon's VP of Marketing, Mike Winton, recorded live as part of the Band Disruptors seasons at this year's Bogota Audiovisual Market. And you can find out more about BAM at bogotamarket.com. The audience questions were consistently 
very insightful throughout BAM Disruptors. And this section includes some more excellent questions from the audience on the use of data in distribution and the future of theatrical. Hi, um, I was just wondering, you were talking about the data you gather from the material you release. How much of the data influences whether you're going to have a wide release or a limited release for a film, or how much of it is just instinct? It doesn't, I, I don't think it, the data never really changes how, it, once in a while it can, tell you, it can tell you you might have something really strong on your hands. Um, but it's more about creating awareness for, you know, making sure people know that this movie is coming in the sort of targeted markets that you already have. Um, and I think that, uh, I mean, not to, not to harp on three identical strangers, but I think the, the numbers that we saw coming back on that film told us that we might have the ability to go pretty far with the further, in fact, than I think we had thought we would. Um, so it's, you know, nothing, nothing influences your, your, your release plan for a film more than how you do on your first opening weekend, like the actual opening of it. Uh, and that's the nice thing about like our business model is like we, we're structured to release our movie so that we don't bet it all on the first weekend. We sort of, you know, lean into that first weekend. You really know what you have by sort of, you know, Sunday morning, sometime sooner than that. And then you can kind of plan from there. Um, so the data, like the data you were asking about, certainly helpful, but I don't think it's quite determined like the size of a release for us. It's given us information that, that's helpful and kind of can build confidence, but it hasn't, I don't think it hasn't, it hasn't kicked like a, a small release film to a wide release film, you know, just like that. How many screens did you open Three Identical Strangers in? It opened on four screens, two, no, five screens, three in New York, two in LA. Okay, yeah. so like the classic yeah. kind of platform model. Yeah. And then you just see if that's going to work, and then if it does, you just... Push, yep. push the button. Yep. Yep. Thank you. Uh, another question. Yeah. I have a master's degree from Penn State University, uh, and I was uh, teaching Spanish there. And many, some of the girls there uh, got Latin American films showing there at the university. Mm -hmm. Um, what do you think of that market, uh, the relationship between Spanish departments or Brazilian uh, um, departments of languages in the United States in, in many universities? Uh, what do you think of that market could be, could be open to the... Uh, Latin American film there. Yeah, I think um, there is a there is a, a market or a world in, in colleges and universities where you know department heads and professors will seek out these films or the student if the students you know there's student film groups um, that we actively work with and um, so I don't know if this is answering your question but it's that's a very healthy afterlife for films after their sort of theatrical exposure, um, the sort of educational market. Uh, there definitely is, uh, there is a, there each, on, on most college campuses, there's a, there's, there are film clubs that, you know, whose function it is is to bring films that are relevant to them that might not have played their town the first time around, but they'll, they'll, they'll screen on, on campus. An interesting, uh, similar Subjects. There's been a trend recently where people have found that Netflix, people are using Netflix as a way to learn languages. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, just a, it's just a really nice way. To, I mean, probably in, in, the audience here are very familiar with watching English language stuff, and that's probably very you know helpful in terms of in terms of perfecting your your English. But certainly internationally, there's a big trend. Netflix have realised that people like to learn languages by watching a good story. It's kind of, Interesting development. Hello, over there. There's the mic. Right here. Oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just gonna, I'm not going to be involved. Um, I wanted to know a little bit about distributing foreign language films, uh, especially platform releases. Um, with so many uh, art house theaters closing, like the Paris and Lincoln Center, 
Do you find it harder to release foreign language films now that the theaters that presented those films what mainly um, are closing? Yeah, first of all, let me say I'm just so impressed that you know about the Paris. Um, I worked at another company that was, whose office was like two blocks away from the Paris. It's, the Paris is this beautiful 500-seat art house theater in uptown Manhattan, and um, it just closed recently. And yeah, it's, it, that, that's, um, it sucks. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, it's really a shame because it's a great venue for, it's a beautiful venue for not just foreign films, but sort of some of the best art house films. And so, yeah, it, it, it makes things harder. I will say um, in New York right now, there's been a ton of new theaters that have opened. So, you know, there's the, the new Quad, the Metrograph, uh, the Alamo in Brooklyn is also pretty new. So there, there actually are a ton, there, even with the recent closures, there are new theaters that are coming in. And in some ways it's a good thing because these new theaters have, you know, they're, they're nicer sound systems, bigger screens, you know, more beautiful buildings. And in some ways it's sort of a natural progression. Um, but yeah, the, the Paris is such a great theater. I'm really, I'm really impressed that you're aware that it closed. Um, it, was a, it was a great place to, to, to see a movie. Do you see theaters are open to showing subtitled or foreign language film? I mean, it's still very much, yeah, it's still, for art house films, you know, it's, while we'll, while we'll certainly play some commercial houses, mainstream houses on, on our foreign films, mm. um, yeah, like the, the core is, is in the art house theaters. Hey, hello. In terms of numbers, I would like to know how many copies of Monos or how many copies of Honeyland, there is a very difficult documentary to release in the States, I guess. So how many copies of that kind of films do you release? And I, my other question will be, what do you think will be the future of theatrical release? Um, to your first question, when you say copies, do you mean how many theaters will play in or, or And, and hats off to knowing about Honeyland, um, which is coming out in a few weeks. Uh, it's a Macedonian documentary about um, beekeepers. H Honeyland will definitely be on, on the smaller side, but it, it will, I, you know, I think it will, you know, it'll open in New York and LA in two weeks and then expand to, you know, five, 10, 12, 15, top 20 markets from there. And then, you know, I, I have a feeling it will, it will get up to 20 to 30 prints or theaters as, as you know, Uh, and I think Monos would be a good deal bigger than that, you know, closer, probably at its peak, closer to 100 theaters or screens. And what's the future of And the future. Let's discover it now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it, it's going to just keep, get, <laughs> it's going to keep getting, it's going to keep getting weirder and harder. I mean, I think the thing that's going to be really interesting to see is that so right now we have Netflix and Amazon and then Disney Plus is launching. That's going to be a monstrously huge thing with, you know, all this sort of Marvel and superhero content and, and Star Wars kid, and kids, Disney. kids yeah. entertainment. Yeah. So that's coming. Then Apple is launching its own platform. So all these, all these like Apple's a, is an interesting one because they're, you know, they're a technology company and they're, you know, now they have this platform, uh, you know, the, now they're doing original content. They've always mm -hmm. been a content outlet, but now they're, you know, creating their own content that's mm. going to dominate all their platforms. Mm. Um, and who knows what it's going to be to, what it's going to feel like to, you know, go home and have the option of, you know, we already have an insane amount of options and now there's going to be even more. Mm. I think it's going to be, I, I, you know, I think it'll be, it really, you know, it'll be cool to be able to watch like all this quality stuff at home. But I do think it just seems unlikely that this many options can sustain itself mm. for that long. Mm. And I think that, you know, as challenged as the theatrical movie going business and experience is like people always want an excuse to leave the house, you know, and even, even in times of like economic downturn, getting out of the house for, you know, whatever it is, 12 or 15 bucks is actually a pretty good deal. And I do think that I do think it, it, it will hang in there. And I think there will be adaptations that need to happen in order to, to, make it more viable. You know, I don't know what those are. I mean, there's, there's certain um, theater chains offer, you know, special passes where you can basically see, you know, something like eight films a month for, for a pretty low price. And I think, I think it's really smart to experiment with that stuff because all the experimentation we've seen, like there's a company called Movie Pass that did this kind of insane deal where for 10 bucks a month, 
you could see a movie every single day and, and that couldn't sustain They're They're, they're not, they don't do that anymore, but they did show that people took advantage of that because people like going to the movies. And I think that the future of theatrical movie going is continuing to give people a great reason to go to the movies, whether that's reducing the price or, or figuring out, you know, focusing on finding only the best movies to put into theaters. You know, I think that's, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, I think the word you used earlier was experience, and I think that's, that's the key, isn't it? Because you've got to give people a reason to leave the house and something special, something different. And I think that's the trend. The trend we're seeing in, in cinema is that it's, you're becoming, it's becoming, the screens are becoming smaller. Maybe Paris was, was pretty, you know, it's a pretty big screen, for example, to, to sustain it. Smaller, more intimate, more comfortable. More expensive. I always, I always felt like if yeah. someone could figure out how to combine like a babysitting service yes. with uh, I love this idea. Movie theater, yeah, I, 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 I want it can't to be that this. hard. I mean, it's like one of those things I'm surprised that yeah. it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, but I do think, yeah, I do think there's going to be innovations that, that make it mm. more affordable mm. and more exciting. And, mm. you know, that's why you're seeing all these theaters add food and beverage and mm. stuff like that. Here's a, here's a thought. What if Apple made cinemas? What would that look like? <laughs> that would be that would be really interesting. How would they do it? I mean, this this is anyway. I'm just going sleek, ran, sleek random, silver random metallic. Uh, it would be yeah. it would be sleek. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah. let's face it. Uh, and we you have to are, update your software. All we have time. time for one more question. Um, I mean, I have one more question. I have. I'm here. Hello. Hi, um, my name is Fernanda. I'm from Chile. I'm not from here, so. Um, I'm, a, I'm just wondering how the acquisition uh, apartment uh, works because you mentioned all the good, well, Sandens, Rebecca, and Cannes, and all the markets that the producers we have to go and show you the movies and whatever. But um, I don't want. I want to know if if it's only screening or you just kind of. If I'm I'm a producer, I can present you. I I can have one. Maybe go to New York or LA and have a meeting with you and um, showing some of the films that we. Made. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of it is it, when you're just when you if you have a project is coming to things like this. You know what I mean? Getting my email address or you know meeting the people that that you know work in the distribution side and building those relationships. Um, you know, you can. I don't know how how if you've ever been to a market or taken a project you've had to you know to a market. It's you know the the that's the sort of straightforward way. The more like creative ways, like, you know, digging around and figuring out whose email address, who you, who you have to reach out to and just, you know, reaching out to them, you know, strongly, but politely and understand. I think the biggest thing, this is what I'll tell you. I think the biggest thing is understanding what, if you're going to do it that way and go direct. And, and I, I do kind of encourage, you know, having, you know, if you're a filmmaker, you know, you have to have, it's, a, it's, a, it's always going to be a fight to get your material seen and, and all this, is to really understand which companies are, the, are right for you. Because if you, if you email just everyone, it, sort of a blanket email about, here, check out this trailer for my really exciting project. I think it's a great fit for your company. If you can explain why it's a good fit for the company you're sharing it with, you're, it's so much more likely that you'll get someone to pay attention to it. Um, and I think the truth is that acquisitions executives, you know, they get their... their inundated, they're flooded with, with sort of scripts and trailers and treatments and, fil and finished films. And I think the more, the more information you have, the better understanding you have of the landscape, the more likely you are to catch someone's attention kind of going in cold like that. And, you know, maybe they're not going to be like, oh, I, I want to buy this film now, but they'll know that when the film is going to be ready to play at a festival, they already know about it. They'll pay more attention to it. You know, it will slightly rise above the other things that are, you know, the, the other films that they're looking at. Does that make sense? Yes, that's good advice. Well, uh, we, we, we are really uh, at the end of our time. I always ask my guests the same question at the end, which is your advice for emerging storytellers. Uh, so if someone's starting out, what would you recommend to them? Now, I think you've already answered this today, Mike. So, but would you, you said, you know, be true to your story, follow through on that. Is there anything you'd like to, to add to an audience of storytellers and producers? I think that um, one of the really fun things about coming to BAM is that I've met a couple people, met a bunch of really interesting, smart people, and the conversation that I've had with them, the most, to me, the most interesting conversation I've had is about the power of narrative mm. and what narrative can do. And 
Your narrative doesn't have to change the world. Your story doesn't have to change the world. Um, of course, there's nothing wrong with that if it does. But um, the, the, in terms of thinking about that and, and giving advice through that lens for emerging storytellers is what is, your, what is your narrative? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you about the world today? You know, why are you telling this story? I think there's really simple questions that you should be able to answer. And if you can answer them, um, that's, that's, that's the best start. And I think if you can picture an audience, if you can picture people, you know, wanting to see it, enjoying it, you know, these are all very basic things. But I do think that the, you know, the ability, the, the, the amount of media that's in the world, the amount of storytelling that's out there, um, I, I think you, you do need to think about why this? And I do think you have to, the harder questions you ask yourself at the beginning of the process, I think the, the easier it will be, the more upside you build into the story you're telling. Mm. So that was my conversation with Mike Winton, recorded live at this year's BAM. If you want to find out more about Mike or any of the guests on the show, listen to other episodes or get in touch. You can do this all at alexstoltz.com. So that's it for this episode. Just like to say thank you again for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. What is the future of film? Taking place at BFI Southbank London on 26th of November 2019, the Future of Film Summit is the essential event on the new technologies, strategies and partnerships shaping film's future. From game engine design to brand funding, the event is designed to empower storytellers and film professionals with expert-led sessions, inspirational keynotes and incredible networking across film, media and brands. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. Tickets on sale now at futureoffilm.live. That's futureoffilm.live. <laughs>